the QMC Board and Collar Series for EMS Professionals welcomes you to Excuse My Medic, the podcast version of an MCI with Gary Harvat, Chuck Humphrey, and Ed Marasco. Excuse My Medic takes a unique look at today's emergency medical service with news and information, opinionated discussions, lively talk, sporadic jabs, and even a few belly laughs from our world of emergency medical services. Excuse My Medic is brought to you by Quick Med Claims, a national leader in emergency medical service revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, hang on to the bench seat and tighten your lap belt as these old guys from EMS Past take you on a Code 3 ride without touching the brakes. You've had the disclaimer, and if you're still brave enough to stick it out, let's get started. Take it away, guys. Good day, everybody. My name is Gary Harvat. I'm from the Client Services team, and welcome to another edition of Excuse My Medic. Uh, joining me, as always, are my esteemed, underlined, bold print, esteemed colleagues, Chuck Humphrey up in Danville, Pennsylvania, and Ed Marasco uh, right here with me in Pittsburgh. Good day, gentlemen. How are you? Hello, hello. We are doing fine. How about yourself, Gary? Doing okay. Hanging in there for this, the world we're living in right now. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Flexibility is the key word, right? It sure is. And you know, I guess there's another word, but I'll take flexibility. (laughs) (laughs) It's a world none of us have ever been exposed to. And uh, it's just, uh, it's been challenging. I I don't know about you, but you know, I'm, I've been home now. This is my fourth week at home as it is for, I think most of you guys as well. But um, it, it, it's, it's been a change and I, and I don't want to, uh, portray it any way than other than it is for me it's been a really kind of a bumpy road uh, I'm not used to working at home I've never worked at home in my life other than a day here or there but uh, you know the first week and maybe even the second week was really a struggle for me I, I missed the office noise you know I missed the the social interaction with comes with being in an office and and for me like I had some down days I'm not gonna lie to you fellas I, I really had some down days but um, you know, I, I'm in the work week four and I've kind of got a routine. It's not much of a routine right now, but it is a routine. So I'm, I'm doing okay with it. You know, I think uh, if this goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks, I'm probably going to need a rubber room. But uh, for right now, I'm doing okay. How about you, Ed? Yeah, I agree with you, Jay. It's been an adjustment. Uh, my biggest challenge these days is my wife wants to get all those projects done. So last night, instead of watching the Disney sing-along thing that was going on, we were up in the attic hauling stuff down the attic steps, you know, going through, uh, you know, yards and yards of old photos and junk. And, you know, the poor garbage men, the last couple of weeks have been brutal. I think I told you guys this last week. So uh, I need to get a break from this work from home stuff. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Chuck, how about you, pal? Well, I've discovered the History Channel is my new friend. So last night I was watching that show where they're catching alligators. I, I am hard up. I got to tell you. And um, the, the one about the, the island in Newfoundland or whatever, it's supposed to be um, a Masonic hidden treasure. I've gotten into that. And so I, you know, and the dog, he just loves it. Loves having his home. Uh, my wife went out for a walk last uh, a couple of days ago and he cried the whole time she was gone. Like he literally is just at our feet. You can't, you hardly can walk. So um, it's a new normal for him. That's for sure. Um, for the rest of us. Well, 
um, I got to say, it's, it's weird. Doing church at online is very interesting. Taking communion online on Palm Sunday was a rather interesting thing, but um, we're learning how to redo life in a different way. That's for sure. We sure yeah. are. No question Amen. about that. I, I will tell you like my biological clock, don't ask me why it's this time, but my biological clock gets me up at 512. Five, not five ten, five twelve, uh, every day. And there's been a few days that I was like, I'm not getting a shower yet. I'm not, I'm not going downstairs to go, you know. So I'll go from the bed because my wife gets up and exercises, and she has a treadmill upstairs. And so I'll come downstairs. I've grown accustomed to now, like five o'clock in the morning. Guess what's on TV? Now only the older folks listening to this will probably remember this. But I love Lucy and the Three Stooges. Oh yeah, those are it's, classics. I live for that now. So <laughs> is it? Is it this the Three Stooges? Yeah, well, in some respect, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mo yeah, Curly uh, and Larry, here we are, pal. <laughs> oh god, classic so, stuff. Yeah, so I've I've started doing that, but you know, it is. It's been an adjustment, and you know, I've I've really tried to to work my way away from watching the news as much as. Um, you know, it's, it's out there, it's information overload. And, and I don't know about you, but there's days it is just, it's really tough for me to take it. And, it uh, you know, and I love the stories. I love the stories that come from this about people caring for each other. I, I, I find myself thinking, I remember back to nine 11 and, you know, people were going out of their way to help their neighbor. And, and I'm seeing a lot of that now. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that you folks are, uh, in your end of town as well too, but you know, hey, how about these guys in the street? Like, yeah. like, hey man, the the people in the uh, in the hospitals, the people on the street, and, and and even the people at the grocery stores, and you know, and the truck drivers. Like, there's so many heroes in this yes. right now, and you know that, you know, like my wife and I were sitting there the other night. Like, we could easily not have bread. We could mm -hmm. easily not have bread. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot of things, but there's still a lot of things going on. There's still some concerns out there. And obviously, as, as we go through today's program, uh, there's a lot of changes from a reimbursement side. There's a lot of changes legislatively that are happening. And, you know, I asked you, you two guys to, to help us out here today and, and talk a little bit about COVID-19 from a regulatory standpoint and what you see happening and maybe some some uh, foresight to what you think might be happening in the future, because um, we all know we've been getting lots of questions from our friends and from our clients about what's happening. And, you know, we're giving them as much information as we could, but we go to a point and then beyond that, we're waiting to hear what truly the answers are from our government officials. And um, so there's a lot of people that are, that are overwhelmed right now and maybe even a little confused. So guys, if you could kind of just Take us down this road. Maybe clarify a few th a few things for our listeners. I think that would really be be great. But Ed, I'll defer. Oh, great! Yeah, thanks, Chuck. You're right, G. There's a million things going on, and and so I wanted to talk a little bit today as we're together about the stimulus checks. You know, uh, the last few days, uh, the agencies are now receiving uh, their share of the uh, healthcare relief dollars that were earmarked as a part of the CARES Act. You know, for many agencies, these checks represent uh, some much needed economic relief. You know, a lot of our agencies, particularly those that are smaller, are really struggling. Some of the normal fundraising things that they do are, 
you know, they're not able to, to take part in and, and do right now. And let's face it, they're all um, very busy with the response and, and preparedness part of what they do. So um, the funds, however, do come with some strings attached. And this is something we've had a lot of dialogue at QuickMed about over the last week or so. Um, one of the requirements to, to accepting that money, to receiving that money, is that providers must certify that they will not try to collect more money from COVID-19 patients than the patients would have had to pay if the services had been in network. So um, for those of you uh, on the call who are on the broadcast that maybe aren't as familiar, um, with commercial payers in particular, providers, ambulance services have a choice. They can either be in network, which means they accept that contract amount as payment in full, uh, with the exception of billing you know, patients any copay that's required by their insurance. And if you're out of network, then the insurance company is going to pay some amount, and then the difference between that amount and your charges usually get billed to the patient. And so the patient's responsible for the, for the entire bill. Uh, for the transporter, for the services provided. And oftentimes, even the insurance company will actually pay the patient. So this is not a new issue. This is something that's been going on for years, and it's not unique to ambulance either. But it's got on the radar screen um, in the last couple of years. And we've done a podcast about this before. We've done a, an Excuse My Medic uh, production about this before, and we've put out some written material. But one of the problems with signing on to get this check and agreeing to this um, situation is, Number one, we don't know what a COVID-19 patient is. Um, is it only the confirmed cases? Now, some of the regulations that came out from HHS do say that it's suspected and confirmed cases. But from our standpoint, at the time we're doing the transport, what's a suspected case? Is it anybody with respiratory symptoms? Think about all the patients you transfer on a normal basis that you care for in the field on a normal basis that present with shortness of breath or fever or achiness or just general not feeling well, um, are, are we gonna dump all those into the bucket of COVID-19 patients and therefore then have to adjust our billing approach, um, particularly if you're out of network? The second, the second challenge we face um, on behalf of our clients and our clients face is, what's the in-network reimbursement rate? As those, those of you who are a little bit familiar with, with how this works, you know that insurance companies negotiate individual rates with individual EMS agencies. There's not a blanket rate that applies to everyone. So you could be in a jurisdiction, let's say Medical Mutual of Ohio, and they may have 25 different rates with 25 different EMS agencies. So when you sign on the dotted line that you're going to accept this money and you're going to accept the in-network rate, you don't know what that rate is for each insurance company that you're making that commitment for. And it's for all of them. The regulations say for all of them, including Medicare and Medicaid, which is a little easier but, you know, how do you make that decision to take that check? You know, we had a client who got a thirty-one dollars or $32,000 check last week. How do they know if that's a good deal or not? They might be getting that money now in the short term, and over the long term, it might cost them twice that much to give up the opportunity to be able to bill their full charges for what they're doing. So we don't, the fourth piece is, I'm sorry, the third piece is, we don't really know what the economic impact is uh, of, of signing on the dotted line. And then... The last and fourth piece is, how long will this last? So you're trying to do the math problem of, okay, I'm going to take this $32,000 now, and it's going to cost me 450 bucks a trip less. Um, that's what I'm going to get less what I'm going to get paid for each trip. Um, if that's going to go on for the next three or four weeks, that might be a good deal. If it goes on for the next four or five months, it could cost me twice that much. So, you know, we're struggling on our side to work with our clients to figure out who's going to say yes, who's going to sign on, accept the money. We're going to have to keep track of that. 
And then we're going to have to build those claims accordingly in accordance with the guidelines here, which are, are gray at best. So it's a little bit of a challenge on our side of things. And, and lastly, just one final comment on that topic um, is that this, this issue is not going to go away. As, as you probably know, we've talked about it before. Uh, you know, there was some several pieces of legislation that were rolling around Congress on the federal side to address this issue. None of them made their way through into the president's desk. This is sort of a, a way to get on the radar screen or to get some relief for the patients. But this is not going to go away. There was just a study released yesterday. Folks at the University of Mich Michigan did a study from, uh, from claims from 2013 to 2017, and they found that 71% of the ambulance claims were billed out of network. That means 71% of the time, um, our clients and partners are generally, are, are generally not in network. Um, and so that's, that's a pretty high percentage of, and that just tells you what the impact of this signing away these rights is gonna be for, for most of the EMS agencies around the country. The additional cost to patients during that time period averaged about 450 bucks per ground trip and about $21,000 per air trip. Now, you know, the air people have been at the forefront of this and have been sort of, uh, you know, had the target on their back. But it's interesting, the University of Michigan study also did the annual impact and actually the ground ambulance, because the prevalence is much higher, right? There's more frequency of ground ambulance trips than air trips in this country every day. The annual impact to patients is about $129 million a year on the ground ambulance side and just a little over $91 million a year in impact on the air side. So from a ground ambulance standpoint, the aggregate number to the patients, to the communities that we serve is a much higher number. So I think we're gonna see more about this, you know, even beyond um, the crisis that we have right now and the commitment we have to make. So anyway, I um, wanted to share that with you all and I'm sure we'll get more questions. We've had a ton already. I know Gary and Chuck have been fielding them on a regular basis so from our clients. Yeah, and, and the longer this goes, I think you make a good point, Ed. The longer it goes, the more there's a potential for, okay, so we got this pot of gold up front, which is great. Kudos to our you know, legislators and the administration for helping, but it may not be a help in the long run. And how do you, how do you compute that? It's very difficult, you know, and uh, so I'm going to have to watch this for sure. But, um, and, and, and I think you had mentioned in another, in the other excuse my medic, you know, uh, about um, how we take a bad rap in this industry. But honestly, I mean, you know, I, I'm still on the street. I don't mind, you know, I, I don't, I'm proud of that. Right now I'm kind of laid off because I'm pretty high risk, but like, it's just balancing the budget. You know, I think some people think that we're, we're swimming in cash and it's not the case. And this particular public health emergency right now is really causing a tailspin on some of our, you know, some of our friends. Um, and, and it's a real concern taking a hit like this and a lower volumes because 911's down. We're not moving as many non-emergency patients. We're just trying to stay afloat in many cases. Yeah, Chuck, it's a great point. Just think of the cost of, you know, procuring and maintaining the level of PPE. You know, most agencies, and, and I think most of the EMS leaders would agree, most agencies are carrying the minimum they need to be legal, right? They're not carrying 50, 60, 70, 100 sets of this stuff because it's equipment it's expensive equipment um but now they have to they have to gear up and so all that money going out the door and like you said the non-emergency trip volumes down we've got agencies what we've been hearing anywhere from 20 to 40 percent yeah. um yeah yesterday i talked to somebody down 40 percent yeah yeah 
and how how are they like you said how are they keeping the lights on for crying out loud yeah it's tough well that's that's great you know my part of this i wanted to talk about signatures uh, i want to loop back um so the last time we got together you guys will remember um we had just heard from cms via the american amps association uh, a verbal commitment so we'll go, go back to that point when um cms first started talking about signatures because sig well, first of all None of us in the field love signatures. We all hate it. So anything we can do to say, I don't need to get a signature is like cheer time, you know. But um, in all seriousness, <laughs> when, when people started questioning, well, now that we're donning full PPE and there's a risk of transmission, why do we have to grab a signature? And it's a valid point. And so when the, the CMS first started to address this, they only addressed it for durable medical equipment uh why that's just ridiculous but nonetheless that's how they come out and so kudos to the american ambulance association asked the question immediately um and i know that our friends at page wolfberg and worked it as well um can you tell us if this will extend to the pre-hospital world and to the ems and they verbally gave uh a, a yes but didn't come out with any guidance and it took them all almost three weeks i think if i recall to finally come out this past week and said Okay, it does extend and then kind of giving some, you know, some written guidance. So, um, you know, folks, it, we talked about this. Uh, I know Gary and I had a conversation about it offline. Um, you have to use common sense with these things, you know. So the first thing I want to say to everybody that's listening out there, you know, this is not a blanket holiday for signatures. Um, and, and it's really situational as to how your um, – protocols, your state and local guidance is being given to you by your medical directors, by the state uh, departments of health, um, and, and the folks that are running the COVID um, operations. Uh, it's really a case of, you know, if you're, if you're fully donning PPE on every call, then follow the CDC guidelines. It's pretty much what C, CMS said. And that means that you really shouldn't be doing anything that causes you to have to remove your PPE in order to get paperwork. So their catchphrase at the beginning was patience over paperwork, and I applaud that. But then you have to consider, you know, what call are you being dispatched for? So if it's COVID or COVID-related, and Ed, you made a good point, I, I don't think it's clear what COVID-related is, but we seem to think that it is anybody with a positive COVID situation uh, that we know confirmed and or somebody who's a person under investigation or the buzzword these days is the PUI people. Um, it seems to be that that would be those folks affected that signature waivers are in place. And, um, you know, it's uh, those of us that use the three part uh, page Wolfberg and Worth form that kind of has uh, section one for the patient, section two for a relative or other person and section three for the crew member. We can always execute that and, and that is in a normal everyday situation. Uh, of course, we all like to get a signature from the patient because that's the most ironclad, but that is available to us. Um, the guidance being given that for a COVID-related incident, um, do make note that it is COVID-related on your signature area and then document, and this has been the latest guidance from CMS, document in your documentation that the patient gave you verbal consent. And that will uh, then supplant the need to get the signature from the COVID-related. The question comes up, what about everybody who's possibly not COVID-related? 
uh, a fall victim, you know, a possible uh, motor vehicle accident. Well, first of all, you know, the comeback that we've heard from the folks out in the street is we, we sometimes don't know. We were talking to an ambulance director the other day, and he was telling us that even his 911 center is not following the guidance on how to properly, um, you know, ask the proper questions and then transmit that to them. And so how can you, how can you know? And, and yet again, I think it books back guys, and you can correct me and please do. It's a common sense type of thing. If there's a way to get a signature and you can do it without running the risk of um, contamination, then by all means, try to do that. Um, but if, if you're going to compromise yourself, compromise your patient, just document. And you know, all of this really goes back to document, document, document. We preach this all the time, now more than ever, because what will happen is, and you guys know this, a year, 18 months down the road, there are going to be audits. They're going to go back and they're going to check this stuff. And then we're going to be held our feet to the fire. And I say our, uh, we on behalf of our clients, our clients, that are representing themselves. And we're going to have to make a case for, well, the trip was during this period. It was a respiratory distress. It wasn't a positive case at that point, but we were in full PPE. And if you're documenting that, I think it's going to be hard pressed um, that a, an auditor is going to, going to come out with a negative uh, determination on a post-payment audit in the middle of this. It seems to me that our administration, thankfully, is taking the gloves off where some of these heavy-handed regulations are concerned, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So, um, again, uh, you know, that is the latest written guidance on signatures. Uh, certainly, you know, don't hang a sign up in your station that says it's now signature holiday, but do you know, ask your folks to follow the protocols that are appropriate for this public health emergency and certainly not do anything to contaminate. The other thing is if you can't decon whatever you're gaining signatures on, the, the electronic device, your tablets, you know, then, then you have no choice. But again, you're going to have to make a case for that. And it'll have to be consistent. You know, you can't have one case where you're gaining a signature and the next time just because you didn't feel like it, you're not. If, if you can't properly decon your your devices, then certainly that should be across the board and it shouldn't be situational at all. Uh, but use common sense, folks. And I think everybody listening gets that. This is just um, a confusing time. We got a lot of stuff thrown at you. Uh, but I think this is one of those things where we can apply on the go and be relatively safe um, and not get ourselves into a pickle where uh, the safety of our staff and our patients are concerned. And guys, feel free to jump in there with, with your thoughts and comments for sure. No, yeah, I've Chuck, go ahead. Good. I feel, uh, I, I feel you guys are both, both right on. And, and just like we've talked about earlier, you're giving us what we know and what we, um, <clears throat> what we're able to do or not do, but there's still cl needs clarification beyond this. Um, I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball here. Uh, we didn't plan for this, but, you know, if this was to end tomorrow or the next day, and we all know it's going to be a while, but if, if it was truly to end, what do you think the face, what do you think the face of EMS, especially when it relates to reimbursement, is going to look like? Um, well, we didn't talk about this, but telemedicine is going to become something that will change the landscape of healthcare, period. Um, 
if we don't come up with um, uh, a vaccine for this, and I'm hearing that it may be late 2021 until a vaccine can be rolled out, until they can find control groups and get through the FDA, and, and I'm all for that because you don't want to rush into anything. Um, telemedicine is going to be, you know, we, we have begun talking about telemedicine, guys, with our discussions on ET3. Um, ET3 is on hold, but the concept is completely run up the flagpole. So I have um, a spouse that worked for a hospital system where um, they are starting training already in how to properly um, help their clinicians um, understand how to properly do telehealth. So she's only one of a thousand different hospital systems right now that are considering the same thing. So I think that that will be the new normal. And I think we will see that there will be future guidance. I think it was already coming. This will just accelerate it um, where EMS and clinicians uh, will come into partnership together in finding a way to properly uh, do telehealth in the field and possibly change the requirements for treatment without transport. Um, and, and, and I think that will just become something that we'll all learn how to do it differently. How will that affect the bottom line? Well, that remains to be seen. For so far for the ambulance provider, there's no means of direct payment for telehealth to the EMS system. Um, and so there'll be partnerships that will exist. And uh, will there someday be a direct payment for treatment without transport, and I'm talking for Medicare, Medicaid, and then as that cascades down into the commercial payer system, um, I really think if, if this is going to become something that we're going to be concerned about for the next 18, 24 months or so, we're going to have to find a way to distance um, possible exposures, and that's going to be done through the means of electronics. I, we were talking to an ambulance director the other day who um, was telling us that um, they were very much perfecting the art of intubation using the telemetry intubation techniques that are out there and how successful they are uh, from a cl clinical standpoint, but also how protective that is because they can maintain distance between them and, um, and the patient. So um, these are going to become some things that we're going to see some high-tech stuff come into play. Uh, where maybe that would have been five years down the road, you know, it might be next year or right now, really in some, some form. Uh, that's just my, that's my two cents there of what I see coming guys. Yeah, absolutely. Chuck. And you know, it's funny. I think the patients during this crisis are getting exposed to the concept of remote visits and telehealth and have been generally accepting. I mean, obviously we're in a crisis and so they, they don't have much choice, but I think, um, and as you guys know, um, the boss is down the hall. Uh, you know, she works as a nurse practitioner right now. She's, she's doing video and telehealth visits down the hall here at the house as I sit in the home office. And uh, in fact, the other day I went and I found the old, uh, you know, uh, Charlie Brown peanuts uh, picture, Lucy, and the doctor is in, you know, and I taped it up on, uh, on the door down the hall for her. But, uh, you, you know, it, you're right. The patient's you know, if the patients are accepting of it and it protects them and a lot of them, you know, people like us who are in the high risk categories, it's a great way to get your situation taken care of remotely without putting yourself at greater risk. So I think it is going to be a new normal, uh, even after the vaccines develop, I think there's going to be a lot more of this and they've relaxed at least during the crisis, 
um, some of the reimbursement guidelines, which are allowing providers to try this out more. I mean, you know, follow the dollars, right? We always say that, follow the dollars. That's what's gonna change health policy. Well, in this circumstance, the dollars are allowing for a wider application of the concept. And I think we're gonna find out when we look back, and I hope some people do some research on this, um, some real hard empirical research, we're gonna find that this is a great way to deliver healthcare. And it's safe and it's reasonable and it's convenient for the patients. And so instead of having emergency departments overcrowded with people who have sniffles and you know, some of the other things that we normally see, they're gonna, they're gonna get taken care of from a telehealth standpoint and that's gonna reduce the burden so when somebody does come in who's really sick, the resources are going to be there for them, which is obviously what's happening during the crisis. Well, and I think for the ground side, the, you know, I, you and I and Gary grew up in the U-Haul, we-Haul era. And I think that's going to go away. You know, it's, we're going to be triaging better. We're going to be, you know, what's that going to mean for the community ambulance? Um, that'll be ready to be seen dollars and cents wise. Um, but for those folks who, have kind of been relying on that kind of dollars. Um, they really should have been looking at their model anyhow. So I think an acceleration and a change that way definitely will come into play. Hmm. I absolutely agree. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your insight and in some cases your foresight, what you think is going to happen. I appreciate that. And I think it's, uh, it's an ever changing picture right now. I mean, I think we all can attest that it's just, Every day, there seems to be something new coming out with all of this. And um, I encourage our listeners to pay attention, to read those emails from the American Ambulance Association or uh, the, the Association of Air Medical Services. Uh, these people typically have their fingers on the pulse. And it's one of those things that we uh, need to definitely um, always pay attention to if you don't wanna be caught behind the power curve on this. So thank you again. Hey, um, let's, uh, let's lighten things up a bit here, guys. Uh, there's literally tons of stories out there about great things happening. And um, so do you have any that you want to share today, gents? Uh, Ed? Yeah, this is a great one, G. And I, I'm not sure if you guys read this, but um, so uh, a few Saturdays ago, University Hospital uh, in Newark, New Jersey, the ED staff was, was basically overrun with confirmed and su suspected COVID cases. More than 150 folks came in the doors that morning. Um, the hospital basically was overwhelmed. The ED staff was overwhelmed. So they put out a call for help. And according to the CEO there, they were at the breaking point. And who responded, of course, but members of Newark's EMS team, most of which who were off duty uh, and had just got off duty, um, responded in earnest as they always do. And so 14 nurses, medics, and EMTs from the system worked alongside the ED staff until well into the evening to clear up the demand and take care of all those patients who needed it. So just wanted to recognize those folks for going above and beyond. Kudos to Terry Hoban and, and his team out there at Newark CMS system for jumping in. And the CEO was, the, the CEO was, was beside himself. Um, you know, he said there were, you know, folks were, were actually sobbing in the hallway because they saw the help coming and, and realized that they were going to be able to get through with the support yeah. of the local EMS folks. So kudos to those guys. Amazing stories. Mm -hmm. Chuck, did you have any? Yeah, I did. So two of our, you know, there's, uh, I think you've seen on Facebook and the news uh, about fire departments, ambulance, police getting together and 
having these parades in the community for uh, for some kids' birthdays and just to uh, laud the um, healthcare providers. So I give a shout out to uh, the Girard Police and Fire Department, which is our client AF Dilger Hose over there in Girard, Pennsylvania, up near Erie, Pennsylvania, um, just for uh, doing a, um, uh, a parade for the local uh, children in the community. So they went out in a couple of the uh, places that they serve, Lake City uh, there in Girard, uh, some smaller communities, uh, bedroom communities from Erie, and just put on a, a fun parade, let the kids know where the route would be that they would be coming, and uh, just just that, that goodwill. And then out uh, Lewis Township Fire Department out in Nebraska, another one of our clients, they did a parade for a little guy who uh, was really down because he wasn't going to be able to have his sixth birthday. You know, I don't know, guys, you remember – well, I had amazing birthdays. My parents just, all the kids would come and we would have fun. To think that at six years old, when I'm looking forward to all my buddies coming over and having cake and ice cream and, you know, running around a place and beating on each other, that that wouldn't be part of my experience. This breaks my heart. There is where I get emotional. But to watch these kids on Facebook, when those fire trucks come in and a lot of the guys are taking their their, you know, their mics and they're wishing them happy birthday. The kids are just, that's a memory that they'll never forget. So it, it totally wipes away all the sadness of not being with their pals and the, the police and the fire guys. And you know what, guys, I got to say, who's to think that that won't spawn a whole generation of young guys who remember that, that are going to be part of us someday when we're gone. I think you're going to find that. This is a new hero, you know, and, and I don't know about you, but I, kind of like the switch about American heroes being on the fire truck and the ambulance and, and the doctors and the nurses in the hospital, as opposed to some of those sports guys. There's some good sports guys out there, but I like the, the little switch that we're given that the common guy on the street that's facing this stuff every day is becoming uh, larger than life heroes. And if that's the result of all this, I think that's a pretty good cheer for me. I don't know about you, but yeah. Yeah. Well, amen. Well stated. And you got another one, I think. I do, and this is uh, this might hit home a little bit here. So uh, this is a non-COVID related story, but uh, I was reading a story about Jerry Cross. Jerry, God bless him, is 80 years old, still serving as a top-notch EMT and mentor at the Helderberg Ambulance in Albany County, New York. Great, great. He received the uh, he received his first aid training in the Army, 1961. By the way, that was the year I was born. Uh, 1961, he brought his skills home after being in the service, and, and he's maintained his EMT ticket this whole time. Uh, he, he worked uh, full-time as a draftsman at General Electric up there in New York, which, you, as you know, if you know that area, is probably one of the larger employers. He helped raise a family, three kids. And actually, in 2018, he was named BLS Provider of the Year up there in, uh, in his neck of the woods. So he's recognized as a mentor and a leader, 60 years of volunteer service. So kudos to him wow. and his family for supporting him to do that all these years. He's still out there running actively. And I just wanted to say, Chuck, you have hope, buddy. You have many more years left. I've got a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's not that long, Chuck. <laughs> Ouch. That's going to leave Ouch. a mark. Yes, that hurt. That hurt. <laughs> <laughs> like I should talk. Well, great. Uh, we could probably take up an entire uh, 
programming episode talking about these great stories and uh it warms your heart because we've all had our down days we've all been sitting at our desk uh, throughout these this period breaking into tears for one reason or another and it's when you see these stories it just really you know there's hope for tomorrow it really gives you hope for tomorrow so so let's move on guys keeping it light for the gang out there that's listening uh I think it's time we break into the old EMS word of the day. Now, I see by our programming schedule that I'm to receive one this day, which always makes me leery. And what makes me leerier is my well-educated friend, Ed Marasco, will be giving that to me. But uh, I'll start because I still need to take a breath before I'm ready to receive. So I'll, I'll give uh, uh, my word to my colleague chuck chuck are you ready i'm always ready okay so folks the idea here is i'm gonna give uh chuck a word and then he's gonna try to use that word probably doesn't know what the word means at least i'm hoping he doesn't he's gonna try to use that word in an ems context and if he gets it right we'll tell him chuck rarely gets it right folks just so you know <laughs> um but Never got I, sh I shouldn't talk because I'm next. Um, <laughs> but today's word, Chuck, are you sitting down and do you have your seatbelt on? Yes, I okay. am. Today's word is hypnagogic. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, let's see. Um, hmm. Hypnagogic. Um, well, hypno... Um, the altered mental status person was determined to be hypnagogic by the command physician. I, I don't know. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, you're in the ballpark, just barely. Oh, you're, wow. you're probably just maybe you're in the bullpen. You're not on the field. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> so. Spoken uh, by a true pirates fan. Yes. yes. <laughs> don't get me started there either. So. Oh my God! We have to talk about your Facebook post, brother. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, oh yes, my. folks. This is the, the Facebook post recently by Gary about the pirates was was one of the best things I've read, and I don't know when. <laughs> Check out Gary's Facebook, guys. Anyway, moving on. So here's 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 your. Uh, I'll use the word in uh, in a sentence here. Uh, contrary to popular belief. Patients don't usually lose consciousness and are, in fact, consciously aware throughout the hypnosis therapy session they sometimes get into. Although they may experience their attention drifts off into somewhat of a hypnagogic or dreamlike state. Uh -huh. oh. So there you go. The dreamlike well, state. I was in the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, you were in the bullpen. The bullpen's actually really not necessarily part of the ballpark, but okay, you were closer than you ever been. Let me say that. So I'm a football fan, so you kudos to you. Fans. We won't go with that football team either. <laughs> not something we want to discuss in this. Fly episode. Eagles, fly. Oh, uh, I got okay. it in there. So. Yeah, there, there you, you go. go. All right. Exactly. All right, Ed. I'm sitting down. All right, Gary. We're gonna try and see if we can at least get you through the turnstiles on this one. Okay. <laughs> the word of the day is. Pleonasm. Careful now. Careful. Pleonasm. <laughs> Would you like me to spell it for you? Yes, please. P L E 
O-N-A-S-M, pleonasm. Hmm. <clears throat> the trauma patient suffered severe blood loss and upon arrival at the trauma center, received three units of pleonasm. <laughs> it sounded right. Like, like if somebody doesn't know any better, they would buy that. Yeah. Oh my God, I gotta get my thoughts here. <laughs> I'm impressed I even came up with that. <laughs> that was good. It just flowed. <laughs> right now, if, if anybody knows the geography of PNC Park and the Pittsburgh Pirates, right now Gary is floating down the Allegheny River in a kayak. <laughs> all right okay go ahead ed pleonasm is when one uses more words than the necessary (laughs) or is excessive or is redundant and so most of the three all the three of us here are can be accused (laughs) of that frequently but i found this interesting because my sentence would be ems professionals unknowingly frequently use a pleonasm in their daily documentation. What do you think that pleonasm is in our daily documentation? All right, I'm going to let you off the hook. Past medical history. history. Past and history are redundant. That is the definition of a pleonasm. Okay, very good. (laughs) That's good. Uh, I I still like mine better. I think that should be added to Webster's. Yeah, that was a good one. (laughs) Yeah, yep. yeah, that was a good one. The the surgeon, you all know, like, I gotta get three three units of pleonasm in this guy. His <laughs> pressure's dropping. <laughs> all right. So anyway, let's move on since we are already in a downward spiral here. Um, <laughs> let's move on. I I've got, uh, you know, let's talk about a little bit of news from the offbeat. And I will tell you that this is this is definitely offbeat. And I hope it doesn't come off as offensive, but I will tell you, when I read this story, I, I was laughing hysterically because this was, falls into the category of what were you thinking? And then I read it again and I continued to laugh, so I'm gonna go with it. But I'm gonna try to read it to you word for word here, guys. So um, this came out of Mississippi, a uh, very small town. I looked it up, it's uh, Northeastern Mississippi. Uh, and um, here's what happened. So, um, and I'm gonna try to do this word for word. Medics are dispatched for a male in his early 30s with heavy groin trauma. Not going well here already. Ouch. Medics uh, arrive lights and siren and the patient is waiting for them on the front step with a towel over his crotch. (sighs) They barely come up, come to a stop and the guy is already running towards them holding this towel, which is blood soaking. They asked him what was wrong. He moved the towel away, and obviously the sight was, was not good. Uh, he noted that he, get this, here's, here's where we get out hill fast. He noted that he was showering and had the urge while showering to make a milkshake. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving it to you like it is here, guys. So before he gets dressed, he goes to the kitchen, gets out the blender. Oh, All right. You got a visual here, guys? Yes. Oh. Yes. Okay. Yes. So he loads up the blender with ice cream and milk, but had to reach 
above the blender onto a shelf for the vanilla extra extract he was putting into his milkshake batter. Unbeknownst to him, private parts flop into the blender. And when he went to reach, his body hit the little button that said go or whatever it says. <laughs> and the blender took off like his engine on a 737 aircraft. <laughs> oh my, oh my. So um, without going into any further detail, one of the medics went into the home uh, while the other cared for the patient. And the word has it, the kitchen looked like the ax murderer wiped out Baskin Robbins. <laughs> Oh my! Oh, but like, Ouch. when do you start doing making milkshakes naked? Like, <laughs> like, that's, like what were you thinking? Oh, I so, think I'll have a milkshake. <laughs> like, like, uh, come on, buddy, just put on some clothes, then have at it. Make your milkshake. But like, why do you shower? Milkshake. Right. Get dressed and go to Basket of Robins for crying <laughs> yeah. out. Holy mackerel! Oh, oh my uh, goodness! So. Gentlemen, do you happen to have one at all? Anything for the good of the order? Probably not going to beat that one. I can't top that. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll move right along. Yeah. We're, we're coming to the end of another uh, fun program, and we've tried to keep it as light as possible for you while conveying some hopefully uh, solid information along the way. Um, before we close, I just want to just a serious note, and I uh, let my colleagues comment as well, too, but uh, for those of you that are on the front front lines, whether you're our emergency medical services, our fire departments, our police officers, and of course, uh, our healthcare teams, even to our grocery workers and our truck drivers, uh, God bless you. God bless you for the great work you do. And it's nice to see that you're finally getting um, the recognition that you should be getting every day of the week, regardless of COVID-19 or not. So uh, from from my professional self and my family, uh, I wanted to tell you uh, a heartfelt thank you. Gentlemen? Yeah, I'll echo that sentiment, uh, guys and girls. Um, in nothing in Ed's and Gary in my history of EMS comes anywhere close to this, maybe 9-11. Um, and, and I can't even imagine what you guys are going through as I listen daily to the locals go in and out. Uh, you are in my prayers. Uh, I will tell you, I have a son-in-law who's a pastor and uh, my daughter and he have started a group specifically to say prayers for healthcare workers. And it has been just uh, well received within the community. Daily, they receive requests from um, names to put on the list that when they get together, just to say some prayers for you all, because you really are, like I said before, true American heroes. Uh, we, we are in a debt to you all that we will never be able to repay, but know that it is not gone unnoticed what you're doing out there, both in the field, those of you in the clinical setting, maybe some of you that are both in the field and in a clinical setting, um, you have our deepest admiration, our deepest respect, and you have our support. So God bless you guys. Seriously, God bless you. Yeah, you guys said it, said it well. It's a tough thing. And so make sure that you're being safe, you're taking care of yourselves uh, and taking care of your families, who we also are grateful to them for, for lending you to us um, to help us keep the country going and keep uh, people fed and, and, um, and, and keep patients um, well cared for and all the work to do. So kudos to your families as well. 
uh, and just know that we are with you. We're, we're all in this together. Be safe. Thanks to all our listeners. We appreciate you tuning in once again and listening to our podcasts. Uh, we see from the statistics that you you're appear to be enjoying these, so we'll continue to do them and bring you uh, good information with some lighthearted moments uh, interspersed throughout. Uh, I, again, echo my colleagues' sentiments and thank you for all you do. And uh, we close our program every day with uh, uh, kind of our, ta- our, our tagline, and I think today more than ever, when I say the words uh, safe out there, we mean it. So gentlemen, with all due respect, thanks for your help today and to all our listeners and to all those on the front line. Hey, be safe out there. there.